It's not every day you get to sit down with a church leader and interview them, but that's what happened the other day when Dr. Mark Woodson, president of the Northern California Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, graciously agreed to join me here on Do Justice. I'm Steve Allred, and this is Do Justice. Now, for those of you not familiar with how the Adventist Church is organized, a conference is a group of churches in a particular geographical region. And Dr. Woodson is the elected leader of this particular group of churches here in the northern half of California. As a result, he is a man with many pressing responsibilities, which makes me even more grateful that he made the time to talk with us here. I wanted to ask Dr. Woodson about his views on how Christians should relate to social issues, and particularly the issue of racial justice. As both a church leader and an African-American, I wanted to hear his perspective. I also asked him what role he believes the church can play in being a voice of truth, love, justice, and reconciliation in a divided world like ours. Now, before we jump into the conversation, I want to share a powerful verse I read earlier today, one that fits right in with our conversation. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. It was God speaking to his church many centuries ago, and here's how it reads. This is what the Lord says. Do what is fair and right. Save the one who's been robbed from the power of his attacker. Don't mistreat or hurt the foreigners, orphans, or widows don't kill innocent people here. And I'll have to say, that advice is still pretty relevant today, isn't it? It is really good to have you here, Dr. Mark Woodson. Uh, I'll have to say, you are the first president we've ever had on the Do Justice podcast. So, Whoa, no pressure. This is a big honor for us. <laughs> no pressure. And, uh, <laughs> And tell us a bit about yourself. I will start out by saying that you are the president of the Northern California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which is the regional, uh, it's it's the Adventist church for this region of the country, right? That's, yeah, that's correct. And our, our territory uh, goes from the, the Bay Area, I'd like to say, to the Bay Area to the Oregon border. Okay. Uh, 164 congregations and... Uh, um, 34 schools and uh, a membership of 41,000. That's neat. So, and how yeah, long have you great. been doing that? So I've been president now for almost three years. Since 2018, I got uh, elected. Before that, of course, uh, I was a conference executive secretary, uh, which is like vice president mm-hmm. of administration and did that for about 11 years. Nice. So I've been almost 14 years in this, in this conference in Northern. Actually, I remember back to before you came, I think you had come to uh, Sacramento Adventist Academy and done a commencement uh, address there. Oh. I think that was right before you became executive secretary, it, as I recall. Wow, wow. Good, great memory. That was in 2007. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I remember you speaking there, and then uh, shortly after that, I think it was, you you, you came on. It right? was, yeah. yeah. That, that, wow, great memory. But uh, that was, <laughs> I, yeah, it was, it was, it was a memorable um commencement address. Anyway, so it's good to have you here. And boy, I'm excited about just hearing what you have to say about some of the things that we're going to discuss. Um, I think back to, I think it was about a year ago, exactly, that you wrote an article for the Pacific Union Recorder, which is the, you know, magazine, of course, for our listeners may not know, for the Adventist Church in 
in uh, like a five-state region here we call the Pacific Union Conference. And um, the article, I think you entitled, Justice is Elemental to Life. And in that article, you shared some of your personal experiences with uh, racism and, um, you know, interactions with uh, law enforcement. And you talked about social justice, a term which has been really maligned in a lot of circles recently. Um, and I want to kind of explore some of that with you. I, before we get into that a little bit more though, I want to just, um, talk about the term social justice. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a, a gal who had actually interviewed here, um, a year or two ago. Her name is Judy Wu Dominic, who said that justice is, um, all justice is social. I mean, how can you have justice yeah, without right. it being affecting society? It involves people, right? People, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's about people. So, I mean, I don't know why <laughs> social justice is so controversial. I guess some <laughs> things have been attached to it that some people think are, you know, socialist or yes. communist or right. whatever. But right. how would you define social justice just in a simple way for our listeners? You know, I, I think from, and and I like uh, some terms I've heard in terms of uh that helps uh, believers, and that is the concept of biblical social justice. Mm-hmm. And I think, so if I was going to define it that way in, in probably my own layperson's terms of that, I, I would say that it has to do with doing right by your brothers and sisters, mm. making sure and looking out for the welfare of those who, number one, can't speak for themselves, looking out for the welfare of those who can't defend themselves, mm-hmm. looking out for the welfare of those who may be under oppression. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is rooted in the, the simple dignity of the human being mm-hmm. and recognizing uh, the Imago Dei, that we're all in the image of, we are created in the image of God. And so anything that works against the image of God, works against the dignity of a human being, to try to make things right, to me, is what biblical social justice or social justice is about. Yeah, It's through that framework, I think, of our what is our philosophy, what is our theology as it relates to the, to the everyday person, mm-hmm. um, regardless of their believer or not, just the value of each and the dignity of each person. That's, that's beautiful. Where do you see the Bible speaking to you know, what we would, how you, what you just said. I mean, you've, you've already kind of, I think, um, uh, touched on that, but give us some, maybe some biblical uh, admonitions to do justice <laughs> in our world. I mean, Man, I know there, yeah. there's so many of them, <laughs> there's right? So, there's so many of them. I love Micah 6, 8. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make me quote it. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so, so let's, you know, there are a number of different texts, right? Right. But what I'd like to point to is, is the sweep that you find in um, the prophetic books, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Micah, you know, all those uh, major or minor prophets that you find in the Old Testament. Um, you can even go into the children of Israel's experience uh, in, you know, Exodus and, and, and all those different areas. There's so many themes of God being the God of creating liberty for those who have been in those who are captive mm-hmm. even within the um jewish uh, or i should say the hebraic economy or society civilization 
you can see those elements of justice, whether it's talking about uh, the Jubilee, right? Or mm-hmm. seven years, what happens in seven years, land goes back to mm-hmm. uh, the family. You know, there are mm-hmm. all of these different things uh, that were able to protect the poor and to protect those who, uh, you know, to look out for the, for what, the Bible calls the foreigner, mm-hmm. we would call today the immigrant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's mm-hmm. so many of those themes all the way through. And when you get to the, uh, when you get to the prophets, um, a lot of what the prophets are railing against, mm-hmm. not just against the, the nations that are not the uh, Israel nation, mm-hmm. um, uh, but, but Israel itself, how the kings have taken advantage, how the wealthy have taken advantage of the poor and the workers. And the prophets are speaking against that, and they're speaking as the voice of God to these, uh, what do we say, speaking truth to power? They are speaking truth to power about the ills of what? Society. Mm. They're speaking mm. about the ills of society and not doing, you know, not not doing right by by your brothers and your sisters who are made in the image of God, you know. And um, those are the things. I mean, so as I read the Bible as a as a as a Bible believer, I can't escape those themes. Mm-hmm. They're large. Mm-hmm. They're huge. They're not just the spiritual themes. You know, we often think, oh, the spiritual things just in terms of, of idolatry, right? Like, oh, they were speaking against because they had other gods before God. Mm-hmm. But you look at uh, Isaiah 58, right? You see that he's talking about, uh, he, he, uh, the prophet there is juxtaposing um, religion mm-hmm. against not uh, treating brothers and sisters right and saying basically your whole worship experience is nothing mm. because you're not treating people with respect. You're not taking care of the workers. You're not looking out for the widows and the orphans mm. and all of those things. And, you know, God is saying through those prophets, you're, you know, th- this is not the, this is, you, you can fast, you can have all these worship experiences, you can keep the Sabbath uh, holy, but that's not, you know, that's what's really basic is, you got to love your, your brother and your sister, mm. you know? Um, so that's, it's hard to escape that. It's oh, hard it to is. escape that. It is. So, so what do you say to those who, who might agree with the basic premise that we ought to treat all people as being made in the image of God? They say, oh yeah, yep. sure. No, no problem there. Right. But they might think, say that the church ought to stay out of politics, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and let's, let's be honest that a lot of these issues, um, I mean, pretty much everything is is uh, political these days, you know. Yeah. So no matter what you're going to talk about, immigration, yeah. racism, uh, fair wages, you yeah. know, all these things are uh, politically charged. And so a lot of people say, well, we got to stay away from politics, which, you know, there's, there's some truth there, right? But I guess w- the question for you is, what role do you see the church playing in mm-hmm. all of this on a, uh, you know, a public level? Because... Some might argue that it's just individual members who ought to pay their own workers well, and that's how they do social justice, right, or right. maybe treat other people well on a right. you know racial basis and don't be racist or whatever. But right. but none of the churches stay away from right. speaking publicly or trying to enact policy change. What what do you think about that? <laughs> wow, it's 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 a it's a it is certainly a, a question that we've had to ask ourselves over and over, um, and I think that. 
there's a tension and a healthy tension, I think, mm-hmm. between being political for political sake. So um, you have to probably break down what we mean by politics. Most people, when they're thinking of politics, are thinking of partisan politics. Mm-hmm. They're thinking of a political party that has a philosophy or a politician that is trying to be elected because of being popular or whatever. Um, but you can't live in a country and be a citizen and say, I'm not going to have any political stance at all. In fact, not doing politics is politics. <laughs> you're you're right. taking your stand because okay. you're not speaking, you're not voting on an issue, you're not making your voice heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so from an individual standpoint, it, that's almost... It's almost impossible not to be if you're part of a if you're part of a human enterprise, which we are, mm-hmm. right? We we live here on the earth. We're part of a human enterprise that has a government. We're part of a nation. Uh, there are elections. There there is a, a political um, aspect that goes on with mm-hmm. in terms of government. So you can't be a citizen and not have your life touched by politics. So if that's the case, then the best bet is to figure out what are good principles by which you can mm. speak to or take action on. I read a book a number of years ago, and this person is one of my heroes, and that's Jim Wallace. And he wrote a book that helped me change my perspective, As it, and, and the name of the book was God's Politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have tried to pattern, and I think this is maybe a, somewhat of a blueprint for the church as well, that I've tried to pattern my thinking in terms of what does the Bible say as it relates to the issues involving the government or um, policies or structures or mm-hmm. do we have a role to speak against, against that? Now, from the Adventist church perspective, we have plenty of historical um, examples of our church taking political stances. This is true. So we, yeah. you know, sometimes those who say we shouldn't really be involved in politics mm-hmm. are are working devoid of historical, of Adventist history, right? When they say that, like we as Adventists, we're not involved in politics. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and give yeah. us some examples. Of- so, well, for instance, uh, and, and what we do is we've emphasized some things more than others. So, okay. for instance, in Adventism, because of our, because of our culture and because of our our uh, perspective on the Sabbath truth, mm-hmm. we and and our understanding even of prophecy of ap- apocalyptic prophecy, we have put a large uh, amount of investment in religious liberty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what is religious liberty? If we're if we're speaking against the separation of church and state, what is that? Or for it, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We're speaking for, uh, you know, yeah. We're speaking against uh, the church and state uniting. Right. That is a political stance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And we've put a lot of emphasis there. We also have put a lot of emphasis on health, right? Mm-hmm. So we have taken political stances as it re- as it relates to drugs and as mm-hmm. relates to smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have encouraged our people over the years to vote on measures that limit smoking and limit. Mm other issues. We've taken stances in the past because of our health investment. We've taken stances on prohibition. Mm-hmm. We were people that voted that there should be laws that, that you shouldn't be able to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and this was more in the late 
1800s that we took those stances. Of course, we know later on in the 20th century, this country then um, created laws for prohibition, but we were for prohibition as a legal matter Mm -hmm. in the 1800s. So we have been involved in politics. We were the issue of slavery before we were actually organized the churches around the same time as during the civil war. But our founders uh, of our church took positions on slavery. Mm. Uh, That was a political decision. Uh, They spoke against the Dred Scott decision um, in terms of returning slaves uh, to their, to their masters and said that the laws, when the laws of God uh, or when the laws of man are in contradiction with the laws of God, you're not to obey it. Mm. Those are political stances. Absolutely. Those are political stances. So it, we've just kind of limited what our political stances are and we have to do more work. I think, uh, as a church answering the question that you've asked, which is how can we be involved? How should we be involved in politics? And, um, I, I think that's a question that we have to continue to, to wrestle with. Um, but I'm, I'm getting to the point that it's not just, uh, you asked a question earlier, and I think this is part of it. It's not just my personal, you know, standpoint. Cause a lot of times we say, well, it's, it's more personal. No, it's, it's public. <laughs> it's pub- because things are happening within our public and within our society. And so is there a role? Um, I've looked at it this way, Steve, that kind of, that has helped me. And that is therefore, I think there are four social ministry ways to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, um, and I don't like to say they're on levels. They're just different ways. One is when we are helping a person with relief, right? So we're saying this person's hungry. I'm going to give them something to eat. Okay. We as a church doing that, that's usually most of our community service revolves around that, which is good. Okay. Uh, then there's individual development that says, okay, this person's hungry, but it's not so much that we just need to give them something to eat. We must try to find a way to help them develop in a way that they could um, feed themselves, whether it's a job, whether it's skills, that's individual development. Mm-hmm. Then there's another aspect of helping uh, society and community, which is community development, meaning what's in the community that is missing or what's not in the community, what's missing in the community that brings about the welfare of that community. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you're in a community and it's a food desert, there's not grocery stores that give you good food and produce, that community is missing something that it may need or Mm -hmm. transportation may not run through that community and people can't then get to work and they can't do for themselves because there's no transportation you know, buses don't run through there. So those are community development issues that you have to think about. And then, um, and then the fourth area that I would say would be advocacy mm. or structural change. Mm-hmm. There are and have been laws and policies uh, in governmental structures that work against people. Absolutely. And so how do we address? So I think the church and as Christians we need to look at all, always look at all four of those. We have spent more time in the relief category. Mm-hmm. A little bit we've launched into the individual development category, but very rarely do we talk about the community development. 
very rarely do we talk about the structural changes. And those are the areas that I think people become less comfortable with because it is structural change. It is changing. It is saying, is there, are there laws on the books? For instance, there were laws on the books that redlined certain communities, mm. right? You know this history that said, okay, uh, people of color could not live in these other areas. We could only sell you this one area. And I was listening to a, a report not too long ago that talked about how um, the cost, uh, they would they would raise the prices of the houses um, for those communities that they knew were, were be people of color. And I was like, wow, this was all happening in the 60s. And it was funny because I was, well, not funny, but it was, I was listening to this, um, uh, it was on the radio, this program, and this was a young lady who was talking about her parents and how they bought a house in Compton. Well, that's where my parents bought a house. And I had no idea that that was a redlined district for a while. Wow. Uh, and prices were, my father's not living, but I wanted to ask him, hey, dad, how was the price back when you bought that house in Compton in the early 60s? And it was like the same time that this person was talking. So did was if we knew that, if we knew that was an issue and we said, that's not right, mm-hmm. would we take a, is it important for us to take a stance on that? Is it important for us to speak against that and say, that's unjust? Mm. Um, was it right for us to have, um, would it, was it wrong for us to have been in, involved in the civil rights movement in the 60s and said segregation, separate but equal, is not right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, did we have an obligation? Well, there were a number of people who said no mm-hmm. in those days, and, and we had Adventists who got in trouble for being involved. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's why I think we've been very selective in what we have considered um, stay away from politics. Why, why do you think we've been selective? Oh, boy. <laughs> Man, if I knew that, I'd probably could get a PhD, right? I mean, I mean, that, I mean right? do you think it's, I, I, I mean, I'm looking at it from, yeah. like, let's talk about the civil rights movement. Yeah. You know, the leadership in the Adventist church at that time was majority white, if yeah. not all of them. Right. Um, our, some of our own institutions were segregated. Sure. Right, correct. Right, I mean, yes. Uh, universities, hospitals. We yeah. either, we have, uh, right. you know, and just so you, you know, from a personal standpoint, my parents experienced that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my parents experienced I that. Mean, this going, is not ancient. I won't say the schools well. they went to have, get them in trouble, but uh, you know, but but yeah, uh, at what the schools that my the school <laughs> the school where my parents met, um, they there was a policy at that school that uh, if you were a person of color, you sat on the other side of the cafeteria. Wow. You were you were you were designated as to where you sat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't say that you sat on the other side of the cafeteria, but there was a person who was a monitor who would point and tell you what table that you sat at, mm-hmm. and you never it was never mixed. That's in crazy. terms of people of color. That was in our schools and in so, our hospitals, right? And so you think of the decision makers yeah. are all, you know, not of the minority group, right? These issues, you know, for them are no, no big deal, and so they're going to make the decisions the way they're going to make them. And so I, I, yeah. I think that, yeah, we have, um, you know, I, I think probably the reasons behind some of this, honestly, is is uh, some racist, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, and I don't know, we can't get into people's motives and hearts always, but, yeah. but clearly there's at least been some ignorance involved here. Um, you know, and yeah. I'm just thinking about redlining. That's such a 
Uh, it's interesting you brought that up. I just last night was reading um, some more of Richard Rothstein's Rothstein's book, um, Color of Law. I don't know if you read that one. Yeah, I, I no, but I've I've, um, I've seen it and heard some uh, discussion about it. Yeah. And it's it's really you know so far very well researched and yeah. and um, you know he's a white guy writing about the history of yeah redlining here in America mm, yeah. and this. You know, even the whole, you know, how black people were not able to get federal home loans because yes. the federal government would not insure loans to black homeowners. Okay. Yes, right. Uh, that lasted up into, I think, the 70s or yes. something. You know, yes. this is not, I mean, yes. this is not that long ago. Right. So right. I, I guess. Within our lifetimes. And you think about how the middle class builds wealth in America. Uh, yes. It's mainly through home ownership. Yes. And so we basically have prevented a lot of black people hmm. from uh, owning homes and therefore uh, you know, building wealth the same way as everyone else. So I, I, I feel like there's, yeah. So, so, so we go, we're going back to this issue of, you know, should Christians uh, care about this? Should we get involved? Should we get involved even if it's, you know, potentially political? Um, I mean, okay, let's just talk about, you know, we do, we do have the evangelical religious, right? They are yeah. very involved in politics to the yeah. point that um, I think pretty much all of us or you and I would probably say, you know, we don't want to be like that, right? Right, um, right. I mean, they're... Right. But at the same time, there is this like, well, let's stay out of politics. But we haven't really done that. We've just only done it with selected issues. That's what you're saying, <laughs> right? Yeah, exa- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I scratch my head when I think of maybe why that is. And part of it is I would be judging motives. I think a, a piece of it, I think, um, Steve, is that... Um, as a as a church, you know we're we're an older church now, right? We're hundred and what eighty years, you know, the movement itself, right? Mm-hmm. We're in that mm-hmm. 170, 180 year part, and I think what happens with with churches, they become institutionalized, and they bake into they lose their dynamism, mm-hmm. and certain things get baked into it without moving outside of those lines. So. The reason why we could talk about religious liberty and some of the other things is because those were issues of the day, right, that that were baked in. And we never progressively said there are always going to be ills in society. Let's continue to address them. Mm-hmm. We've just stayed stuck in one yeah. piece of it, and we've just said it's health and it's this, That's right, it. without looking at the broader, uh, without looking at Hey, without looking at present truth, right? I mean, we've used, which is so funny because as Adventists, we've even used the word present truth as meaning something ancient. Interesting. Present truth in its real understanding is truth that is relevant to the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so is, this pos- is it possible that issues uh, around racism and injustice and, and, and poverty has been with us a long time, but even the immigration, these are things that are going on right now, right? Immigration. Are these things that we should be addressing as a people of God? Is this not present truth for us today? Just as our founders dealt with the issues of their day, whether it be slavery or um, or temperance, mm-hmm. you know, because we got to think about when they were dealing with temperance and health issues then, it, not that it's not a matter of life or death today, but those were very revolutionary concepts, right? The idea of of your your body and, and what, you know, some of the, 
hygienic practices that today we'd be like, what? They were doing what back in those days, right? Yeah. I mean, so they were really on the cutting edge of saying, no, you've got to eat, you got to get rest, you got to have clean water. Yeah. You know, yeah. just clean water, sanitation. Those are things that, that we take for granted today that was not right. part of the issues, you know, it was the issues of their day. So I think we've kind of gotten stuck in a sense. I don't want to say that's a conservative thing. Maybe it's some aspects of that because we are, tend to be more of a conservative church if you look at churches. But we, in some ways, have just kind of calcified into mm-hmm. a certain era and we've stayed there. Well, and I think that's a good observation. And the reason I ask that really is, you know, again, yeah, we don't know people's motives. And so maybe I shouldn't have suggested that people, it could have been racist, um, you know, uh, motivations. But I, I would say that, you know, Here's the thing. If something affects me, I, I'm concerned about it usually, right? right? You right. know, if, if I'm being oppressed, right. I'm, I'm going to think it's something that we ought to deal with. But yeah. if it's maybe somebody else in yes. another group and that I'm not a part of and I don't have any friends of or, you know, I don't know, I, none of those people are in leadership positions in this organization, maybe it's less likely to be of concern. And I, I remember, I mean, yeah. a friend of, of our family was telling my wife a story recently about her uh, family who lived down in Los Angeles, and uh, one of the conference offices there moved their headquarters to a town that was a sunset town. Oh, and wow. if you know what a sunset town is, right, yeah. which I'm yes. sure you do, but some yes. of our listeners may not. I mean, it was a yeah. town where if you were African American, you weren't supposed to be there after sundown, right? right? Yes. And so her, the pastors in town, the black pastors, told the conference apparently, hey, we're not going to be able to come to meetings there wow. in the winter because it'll Sunset's be dark early. by the time we wow. get out of there and, and we can't, it's illegal. Yes. Please don't move the conference office to yes. Lindale. Yes. Well, they did it anyway. <laughs> and you know, I'm just wow. thinking, so, so, so these are issues that I didn't know that one, Steve. Well, and I can introduce you to her. She, she goes to the church I go to, but I didn't um, know that. That's wow. That's interesting. You think that's about, my home conference. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you think about that issue, for example, and it's like, well, so who are the leadership that made that decision? Clearly yes, they were not concerned, right. at least it didn't appear right. with the plight of those black pastors. Right. right. Why is that? You know, and it right. troubles me right. that we don't seem to often, but you know, it's funny because when COVID came along and suddenly, you know, some of us are feeling threatened, our freedoms, we, we you know, some of that, our, our freedoms being threatened, yeah. it affects me. And so therefore it's yes. important. And I guess yeah. that's my point. Sometimes yeah. if it's not, you know, those yeah. in leadership are not maybe experiencing it, maybe they don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And I, we've got to have a more principled based approach to the issues we decide to speak out on than yeah, that. Right. 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 And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. And, and that's why, you know, that's why I say uh, it's 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 biblical, you know. It's it's God's ju- it's God's politics, absolutely right. Where yeah. what does what is the how does the Bible speak to those issues? And I I'd like to say this doesn't always work, but I like to say when the Bible is silent, I'm silent. When the Bible speaks, I speak to that issue because mm-hmm. um, now there's sometimes the Bible may not address something very specifically, but. They're principles that we, you know, we're, we've been around long enough that we can glean principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can understand th- those principles and how do they apply to society and how do we speak them? And, and I just, it's just embedded in my mind that um, if the golden, you know, just the golden rule is treat others as you would have, you know, as you would be treated. And if the, the commandment is love your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, 
and on this hang all the law and the prophets, well, that's right. That is the principle. Mm-hmm. And is there anything? So the question becomes, if those are the principles, do I have a responsibility to speak or act as a result of those principles? Sure. That, that's, that's the thing. Do I have a responsibility to speak and act? I think I do. Mm-hmm. I think we do. Mm-hmm. I think you can't sit back and say, oh, that's just terrible. I think there is, you have to speak against it. We have to, we have to be the prophetic voice, right? We have to cry aloud, spare not. Tell my people their sins. Speak, speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. Those are, mm-hmm. That's there, and it's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. To do that, right? It's not mm-hmm. comfortable to do those things, but it, it's. I, I just think we're we're not. You know, it's hard to do, and right. and I think that's we're not there. But I think we have to speak to have the future. Now, the other part of that, uh, Steve, I think is what happens is people say the reason why we shouldn't get involved in politics is because it's going to take away from the gospel, mm. and okay. there is a dichotomizing. I think. Mm-hmm of what the gospel is, because the gospel is about freeing people, mm-hmm. right? And if anybody, Adventists ought to be talking about freeing people holistically. It can't. We're not one-dimensional beings. We're not just spiritual. Mm-hmm. We are physical, and we are emotional, and we are social. And the gospel, mm. do we believe as Adventists, yes or no, that the Bible and the gospel speaks to all those aspects? We believe in a health message. At, which is right? physical, right? <laughs> physical, so how yeah. come all okay. of a sudden we, we're not holistic when it comes to these other issues that affects people and their lives socially? Mm-hmm. So we talk about going back to social justice, right? If we're saying that the gospel speaks to every aspect and the dimension of us as human beings, mm-hmm. it must also speak to the social aspects of it, which the Bible does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Bible does. It, there was... Um, you know, I was speaking last week at, at camp, and one of the things that I said was, and I believe this to be true, and this is in the Bible, your horizontal, your, your spiritual relationship, which is your vertical relationship with God going up, um, it affects your horizontal relationship, your relationship to brothers and sisters, and your brothers in the relationship you have with your brothers and sisters affects your vertical relationship with God. So mm. in First John, where he says, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. Mm. You can't. Mm-hmm. Or when Jesus says, hey, listen, if you have a problem with your brother and you bring an offering, leave the offering and go make it right with your brother. There is that connection. Wow. wow. Yeah. Right? There's the connection between how we are relating to each other mm-hmm. and my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be involved in societal issues. And it's not just personal because there are things that affect my brother, my sister, that is, that is a, a political Sure. There are things that are political about that. So, so let me ask you this. You know, in our current culture, it seems like uh, maybe, yeah, you, you turn on the uh, TV or if you get on the internet, it seems like every day there's something new out there that you can be outraged about. Yeah, true. Right, right. on either yeah. side That's, of it's so true. all sides of issues. Yes. So do you think the church kind of needs to have like – and I, I mean, I, this is a rhetorical question, I think, but I want to hear some more about this. Like, do we need wisdom to know when to engage and when not to engage on these yeah, issues? You bet. <laughs> a lot of, lot of wisdom. Uh, no, no question about it. When you said that, you know, you, you know, I, I have had some other discussions in the past and there are so many issues, right, to address. Can we address all of them as 
one person or even one church? Probably not. Mm-hmm. What I would suggest, though, is if you're a church body, and, and Marlene and I, my wife, we've had to do this even as a family, said, what will be the issues that we really want to? There are a lot of issues out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. What will be the issues that we will invest time and money on that involves issues of, of justice or fairness or mm-hmm. what would be those? And so we made a decision on what that would be for us. Wouldn't it be great if churches chose different things? A church body, a local church, mm-hmm. chose a specific issue that says, we know this is an issue that um, we can do our best to address. There are a number of us. Just ch- choose. Mm-hmm. Pick it. Mm-hmm. Just like we choose where to go on a mission trip. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We have certain places where we said, no, that's that place that needs you know, drinking water and wells. We're going to just... Our church is going to focus on that. Why mm-hmm. couldn't we do the same with some of these social issues that we face mm-hmm. and divide and divide that up? If that church is doing it, okay, we can either join them in it or they can teach us and we may do part of that or we can do this because they're working on that. I mean, there's there's so many variety of issues that, that can be worked on. Some things that are like really huge, it may be all of us, right? We mm-hmm. all may be able to take a a stand uh, on a particular issue and say, how do we address that uh, as a church? Um, one of our initiatives for our conference um, is engaging in engaging your community with compassion. And so we are really pushing um, engaging our community. Well, there are a number of issues within a community, uh, right? And we were just kind of brainstorming like, what, you know, one person said to me, it was a pastor who said, what if the whole conference, we've chose one big thing and said, we will address that issue. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of other issues, but for now, we will address that issue. And I've been, I've been rolling that over in my mind saying, wouldn't that be cool? Like we said, you know, let's just say if it was homelessness and we, and we just said in the Northern California conference territory where we have churches, we would like to see zero, you know, there's this group called, I think it's called net zero, something like that, that talks about no homeless Mm. in their community. Wow. What if we as a church said, we are people that says, no, that's in our communities where we have influence. We're saying every church, every place where we are, schools and churches, in those communities, we work towards zero in terms of homelessness. So that's everybody all of, I don't know if that's going to work. That would be powerful. But right? can you imagine? And we put our mm-hmm. resources behind that. So we as a conference all together, you know, we set aside monies. We we help all of our churches, but we focus on that. And we study those issues. And we partner with agents. And we know there are plenty of agencies out there that are doing this kind of work. We partner with those agencies that have the same uh, kind of focus and goals that we have. Mm-hmm. And we, mm-hmm. we invest energy and time and thought in some of those things. So we're... I've been rolling that around in my mind and thinking, boy, wouldn't that be something if we chose something like that and could help all of our, I mean, we know communities are different. Some have a sure. higher rate than others, but what if, right? Well, what what if, if the church, I mean, you talk about the Adventist church, you talk yeah. about just Christianity in general. What yeah. if the church was known primarily for fixing problems in their community like that or, or being exactly. there. To, I mean, isn't exactly. that? Yeah, that's, exactly. that's powerful. Which is, and, and I've said, you know, community relevance is one of our, 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 our strategic initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
you know, treating, reaching our communities, engaging our communities with compassion is, is, is one of our initiatives. Um, what I discovered is when you address an ills of a community, you automatically become relevant in that community. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times we say, hey, is our church really relevant? Mm-hmm. Right? Relevant. Are we really relevant? I discovered just in my own experiences uh, as a pastor, as an administrator, working in the church, um, I've discovered that the moment you, even if you haven't lifted a finger, but you just are interested and you start talking to an issue, you have become relevant to the conversation and uh, to that community. I, 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 um, I don't want to get too way off track, but I, but I will say that when I was... Um, before we moved to, to Roseville, um, I, we, we lived in Concord and, and we were just saying what, you know, we, we spent almost a whole year just saying what really is the, 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 the major need in our community? Well, it was staring us in the face, but we didn't want to talk about it. Right. It was staring us in the face. And the issue was affordable housing, mm. not just homelessness, but affordable housing, mm-hmm. which suggested we had, we discovered through interviews, through statistics, through discussions with our community people, through going to town hall meetings, through listening to the city council, um, we discovered that was the issue that we had working poor who couldn't afford homes in our community. So we said, folks, this may not be our typical kind of issue, but if we're going to say we're going to address one of these issues in the community, this is the biggest one. Well, of course, then you start saying, how can we? We're a small church. How do we address those things? But you know what? Just having the conversation mm-hmm. put us and just thinking about it, start giving us ideas of what to do on each of those levels, not levels, each of those areas that I talked about. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for, what does that look like in the area of relief? What does that look like in the area of individual development? What does that look like in the area of community development? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Are there structures? Are there things? Are there issues? You know? So that's neat. Man, that thing was it was deep. And and it right away the agencies that you start talking to and the people were saying, you know what? Here's an idea. People would come, mm. we invited people into our church from the mm. community mm. to talk about these issues and then invited people outside of the church to our church to talk about these issues. Mm. So what are you doing? You are you are rubbing shoulders and you're talking, you're speaking and people started to say, Oh yeah, you're a church that you're serious about us. Not about yourselves. You're serious about us. That is neat. Cause you're trying to address the issue that we're all talking about. Yeah. I mean, and so the church has an automatic platform in a way. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it, 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 there's, there's some influence there and, and you're saying we ought to be using it to become relevant in the communities. How do we do that? It's by addressing the needs that are, that are staring us in the face. Yeah, because you can become the, uh, there's another word for it. It's, uh, well, yeah, that's the word. Thank you. <laughs> you can be the convener. Mm. You can just use your place as the convener for the discussion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just be able to say, come, let's talk. Let, let's, you know, let's talk about these issues and come by. We've got a building. We've got a building. You can We've got a building together. you can gather <laughs> and talk about these, right. talk about these issues. You can bring, you know, law enforcement, other agencies, and just say, we're going to talk about what's going to be best for our community. And we're going to help. We're going to be the church that helps convene that. We don't have the answers. Yeah. We don't have the answers because we want to listen. But we know people who do have the answers. And maybe together, 
we're able to do something, but we're in the conversation now. We're part, we're relevant right away. And man, we got so many great ideas on what to do because when you start thinking about it, you put your, your mind, you start getting creative. And, and we must never forget that we serve a big God. Amen. A yeah. big God. But with God, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. A big God. And so what, let's not shy away from these issues. Um, can I go back a little bit and, and mm-hmm. say this? One of, and I, I preach this a lot. One of the temptations and challenges that we have as a people who have um, who are very strong in apocalyptic prophecy and our study of eschatology, which is, you know, I tell people that's just a big seminary word for the study of last day events. Um, one of the things that traps us, and to, uh, for especially as as my, our church Seventh Day Adventists looking forward to Christ's coming, is we can get to a posture of saying, we know how this is all going to end. We know the world is coming in, mm-hmm. we coming to an end. We know it's going to get worse before Jesus comes. So the temptation and we have that can lock us in is a mentality that says it's all going to burn anyway. It's deterministic so, mentality. Yeah, yeah. So really, we know there's going to be killings. We know there's going to be racism. We know there's going to be poverty. Mm-hmm. We know there's going to be uh, abuse. We know these things. We don't need to address them. It's just a sign that Jesus is coming. Let's just sit back and wait. Let's sit back and wait. Yeah. Because, and what we're really saying is, I'm saved. Hope you get saved. Mm. Ouch. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's our challenge as Seventh-day Adventists, that we can be so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. And Jesus didn't say only be light. He said, you also should be salt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I love you know I love that he said salt and light because light is about truth and knowing and knowledge right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but salt was about preserving mingling yes getting down there with preserving and salt changes things mm. Mm. so salt is in the community mm-hmm. it is infiltrating it is preserving or else it's not doing any good if it's or else it's doing, not doing yeah. any good it's not just about flavor. Mm-hmm. You know, we've often mis really misquoted that, right? We said, "Oh, if a salt loses its flavor, it's not saying flavor." The word is savor mm-hmm. in the King James, right? Mm-hmm. That's not about flavor. That's about preserving. Mm-hmm. That's about and what is preserving? So something that does so that something doesn't decay. Mm-hmm. We have decayed communities. Mm-hmm. So if we're in that community, and I'm I'm a firm believer that as we as the people of God, if we are in communities. I'd like to know that when we're there, a difference is made. Mm-hmm. That the poverty rate is not as high because we're there. That the illiteracy rate is not as high because we're there. That homelessness rate is not as high because we're there, mm-hmm. because the church is there. Otherwise, what good are we? And it's lost its mm. savor, it's lost its preservative, it ain't good for anything. Wow. That's powerful. So so I'm gonna I wanna kind of go back or pivot a little bit here and ask you, so how can the church speak to the issue of racism in America? Okay. And and I'm asking you (laughs) because I know you've got the answers, uh, (laughs) but no, no, no. I mean, honestly, I I think that um, this is a tough issue and I, and I want to hear from you what role you think the church has to play in um, in, in, in dealing with the issue of racism and bringing about reconciliation if possible, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, 
Is the church uniquely positioned to deal with that issue, do you think? Yeah. And are we talking about the church, the Christian church as a whole? Are we talking about the Adventist church? Uh, which, I'm just thinking of the one? Christian church as a whole, it's just Christian God's whole. people. But yeah, I mean, and, and let's talk about Adventists though, too. Yeah. You know, Christian church as a whole, if, if we are truly living up to um, the principles of, of the word of God, we start, we start with Genesis, right? We start with the fact that we are all made in the image of God. So if we're made in the image of God from Genesis and you go through the sweep, you get into the new Testament and, and you hear Paul say in Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no bond. There is no free that we're all kind of leveled basically at the cross. How could there be any room for racism? Mm -hmm. How could there be any room for white supremacy? Mm -hmm. How could there be room for that? Recognizing that, um, we all are, are created equal in the fact that we have human dignity in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship, God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus. So how could there be, if I'm creating Christ Jesus and you're creating Christ Jesus, how could you be, because simply of the color of your skin or mm -hmm. culture, be better? That so, is an anathema to the very existence of... So, so. Yeah. From our, so from our theology, mm -hmm. where we start, right, and our understanding, our biblical theology, mm -hmm. we recognize that, yeah, we have a great vantage point as Christians mm -hmm. to be able mm -hmm. to speak to that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and here's an aspect, and I think this is true about the Seventh-day Adventist church. If you're, we must recognize we have Christians all around the world. Right. They're not part, only white Christians. Part of this community. Yeah. Right? We, we, we've got Christians everywhere. Mm -hmm. Chinese, you know, Asian, um, uh, you know, Latin America. I mean, we have mm -hmm. Christians everywhere. So we, if we are world, we're worldwide, then we know that, you know, if anybody should talk about diversity... And it should be us, right? Mm -hmm. And then from the Seventh-day Adventist standpoint, it's the same thing, right? Both in terms of being a diverse church on almost every continent, I believe, and, um, you know, 23 million in the world. And uh, I went to my first general conference in 2000, in the year 2000, Toronto. Toronto. And um, <laughs> for the first time, being from, you know, being from the U.S. and having the world there all in one place with representatives from the world, I said to myself, and I hope this is okay to say, I was like, this is not a white church. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is not a white church. Nope. This is a church of color. And then it says something else, right? Mm -hmm. This is a world of color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a world of color. And so, boy, if anybody could speak to that issue. And then lastly, Jesus gave this command, right? I pray that you would love one another. Is that they will know you are my disciples, not because you're keeping the law, not because, I mean, he could have said those things. He could have said, man, you keep that Sabbath. They will know you mm -hmm. got the seal of God, right? They will know you're my disciples because of the way you love one another. Mm. Well, that's heavy, right? Because Jesus knew that if you all can get along having differences, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if you can have a Simon the Zealot 
and Matthew, the tax collector, tax collector in the same group of 12 mm-hmm. and they love each other and they were, they should be enemies right. of one another. They will know something special is going on. So we have an opportunity as a church, I think, to reflect that um, locally in our churches, to reflect that, to embrace it, to not have the strife, not to have the disunity, not to dominate one culture over another, but to say, no, what a beautiful mosaic mm-hmm. that has all of the colors. That the, and then we've got that prophetic vision at the end in Revelation of John seeing every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Absolutely. That's a, that's a vision that we ascribe to. So, so you know, I think a lot of Christians would agree with what you just said, mm-hmm. uh, but but they would then say, but you know, the folks who are talking about racism are the ones who are bringing disunity because racism <laughs> shouldn't be a problem. It's not a problem. So how, that so, would be so, great if it wasn't, right? So, so what is your? <laughs> how, what do you say to that? Like, how do you, you know, how do you convince someone that that racism is still? A problem, or is it? Is it yeah. not? Yeah. And I, I think you know you. We were talking earlier, and you said, "Yeah, there has been progress made." I think you know yeah. we have to recognize yeah. that things are a lot better now for yeah. minorities, for for African Americans, for for you know whoever it might be, yeah. than they were maybe a hundred years ago, one hundred fifty sure. years ago, yeah. even sixty yeah. years ago. But but there is still progress that needs sure. to be made, right? right. Yeah. And, and and why would you say there is? And what would you say to someone who says yeah. we shouldn't be right. that? That brings you know yeah. division if you bring right. it up. So we can acknowledge the progress, okay? We can acknowledge the progress, and there has been, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, As I shared with you earlier, but we got a long way to go, mm-hmm. right? We have a long way to go. I can give present day, I can give present day examples of, of racism, mm-hmm. right? Um, and maybe I will. We'll see. <laughs> but I will say this. So when you say for a Christian says, yeah, I believe in that, racism is wrong, and so forth, and so on. I would say this. For the person who is a Christian, remember our our principle is loving our brothers, right? One of the things we could do for those of us who do not experience racism is to listen to our brothers who do and sisters who do. Mm -hmm. We need to do a lot more listening and a lot less arguing and being uncomfortable. Um, I can tell you there have been people in my church that say, well, you know, I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. But you're not listening. If you have people who are your brothers and your sisters in your church who are saying, this is what I've experienced, then is it important for us to listen before we just say, no, that doesn't, that's not true. And I think that's what I would say is listen. There are, if you really care, if you really care, you'll not only listen, you'll also get under the the roots of that. You'll also try to be informed. If you really care, you'll try to be informed. If it's really about making yourself feel good and that I don't want to be bothered with that, or I don't want to, I don't want to think of this being a problem, or I've got some guilt around that issue, then that's, then that's self-centered. That's Mm self-focused. That's not other focused. Other focused is, Hey, if the, and I love first Corinthians 12, right? If there are parts of the body that are hurting, mm-hmm. the whole body is hurt. So just because you're the eye and the hand is hurt, you're, that doesn't make the body function okay. So we've got a lot more listening to do for those who can give. And, and there are plenty of stories to tell. 
<laughs> there well, are plenty of stories to tell presently. Let's talk about a couple of those stories because okay. you wrote in that article that I referenced at the beginning of our time here today uh, about some of your own experience with yeah. racism. And you actually um, wrote in that article, you said that you know racism is a historic and a continuing problem. Yeah. And you gave some examples from your own personal experience. Now, you know, some people are going to say, well, that's anecdotal. You know, uh, I want to see statistics and numbers. And I, <laughs> I would say it is difficult sometimes to come with hard evidence in some of these areas. But yes, you can listen to the real life experiences of people of color. Yes. Tell us about some of your experiences cool. that you've, ex- <laughs> you know, I, I mean, and you, you, you gave examples of, um, you know, interactions with the police. This was right yeah. after the uh, murder of George Floyd yeah. about a year ago mm-hmm. when you wrote that article. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of people were thinking about that. And you said, listen, this has happened to me. Right. Tell, yeah. tell us about some some things you've experienced personally. Oh uh, yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> if you're if you're okay well, with that, sure. Oh yeah, sure. Um, and and I probably made some allusion to it uh, in that article. But uh, as a as a kid growing up, and and we're not talking about living in the deep south, not from Georgia, not from Alabama. We're talking about the South, Southern California. Mm. Uh, growing up in the greater Los Angeles area, and um, we have to remember this is the place of Rodney King beating. This is also the place of the Watts riot, 1965. So there have been racial tensions and with the police that go back decades in Southern California, we like to believe ourselves a lot more progressive. So I can tell you, I can count a number of times where I have been stopped by the police for no apparent reason other than the color of my skin. Uh, They didn't give me a ticket. They didn't say I stole something or even that I look like somebody that stole something. I just got stopped because truly, if you're black, you probably committed a crime. And one of the experiences I think I was telling you before was being in my community, which at that time was predominantly and still is uh, predominantly white community. Um, growing up there, we were one of the few uh, families of color, African-American family. And I'm at the mall and with my sister, we're driving, leaving the mall. And at least it probably was seven or eight cop cars stopped us and surrounded us. Mm. Had to get out of the car. Um, they, they, um, I was spread Eagle. I think that's what you call it. And frisked. Mm. Um, they never said why, they never said, oh, we just heard of a robbery or, um, and the police officer who stopped me was very belligerent and said, what are you doing here? Mm. What are you doing here? Um, do you have a gun in the car? Do you have drugs in the car? Well, why would I have drugs? Mm-hmm. What was about me that would have drugs? Because you stop everybody because they might have drugs. So what was it about me that I would have had drugs? Why would I have had a gun? And he was very belligerent to the point where I think he probably wanted me to react so that who knows, I might've been a Rodney King. I don't know, but that obviously was. And when I could say I live here, Mm -hmm. it surprised him because in his mind, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be living in this community because people like me don't live in this community. They live in other parts of the city, but they don't live here. Mm -hmm. That's racism. This is your story. And it's not just your story. I have heard this personally from other friends of mine who are black. Mm-hmm. 
and we hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's no central database out there for people to <laughs> file their stories. But we right. do see stuff in the news, right. and we see court cases and arrest records. And, uh, you know, so it, what you're saying is uh, not uncommon. It's not. And, and in fact, tell us, and, and I didn't, you know, intend to necessarily ask you about this, but, or at least I didn't tell you I was going to ask you about this. But, you know, I've, I've talked to some of my black friends who say, you know, when our kids get to a certain age or when they got to a certain age, you know, or when I got to a certain age, my dad sat me down and told me they had the talk with me. Right. Is that something that happens in most black families? The talk? I I think so. I, I, I think so. Um, I can't say it happened in my, what is the talk? I mean, in your, what I think the talk is, um, where you, you, and you've, you read about this, you see this, people talk about this. Um, I think the talk is, Son, especially black males, there's been, right. you know, especially with black males, son, you've got to really be careful. Mm-hmm. There are, everybody doesn't see you as just a regular person. Some people see you as a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, people will treat you differently. Be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, be careful. Uh, there's the talk of, when you're stopped by the police. Right, right, right. And that's what I was thinking of oh, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, I, I, I've made this my own rule. Uh, I don't, my dad or I don't remember my parents telling me this, but I've made my own rule whenever I'm stopped, daylight or night. I move very slowly if I'm asked to pull out my registration. I have both hands on the wheel when I'm stopped. Um, I'm very, very careful. I've had a situation where my brother and I were driving. He was driving. I was in the passenger seat. We were stopped. And maybe for that one, I wouldn't say that was all racist, right? We were stopped. Um, but as I'm sitting there, I'm in the passenger seat. Two cops, I could see them in the side view mirrors. Two police officers were coming. One was a female. She already had her gun out. And it was pointing toward me, and I could watch it. I could watch her coming from the side rearview mirror. So her gun was already drawn. This was a traffic stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get a ticket, but it was, they said we were driving too slowly or something. And her gun was out. And again, my instincts kicked in where I'm just like, keep your hands where she can see them, mm-hmm. make no sudden movements, and talk very slowly and calmly. And you should be okay. Hopefully you'll, you'll get out of this alive. Hopefully we get out of this alive because her gun was already drawn and you know, they don't shoot to maim. And your, your brother isn't a criminal. They, he didn't have anything on his record. Well, his license plate that they, <laughs> they, they, they like, this is a, some, a, a fugitive here. Let's draw our guns. I mean, yeah, it's like, and, and, you we know, didn't get a ticket and I, we weren't told, I think they said we were driving, you know, driving unusually or something, but mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Uh, but I know guns were drawn. I mean, I just think of myself, you know, as, as a, a white male, um, I've been pulled over by the police many times yeah. for speeding and gotten yeah. many tickets in yeah. my lifetime. Yeah. Not proud to say that, but I have. Um, and I never, <laughs> never once though, have I been in, uh, you know, had, had a thought that I might die in one of those encounters, but right. you're telling me, right. And, and, and honestly, I've never even thought about like, yeah, putting my hand back to my back pocket to get my wallet, opening up my glove box only, you know. And, but I, yet I hear stories, it seems like, yeah. from all of my black friends that this, in their minds, every time they 
uh, hear a story about another black person being shot by the police usually starts out as some sort of an innocuous traffic stop that turns into yeah. something more right like Philando Castile out there in Minnesota mm-hmm. or you know whoever uh, that this is going through their minds every time they're stopped too and they're experiencing some of these same things right so there's this and, and I want to talk just a minute about that aspect of it because I think a lot of white folks like me might say come on you guys you know <laughs> this is anecdotal number one number two, why Why is it such... I mean, it's not happening to you. It just happened to George Floyd. It just happened to Philando Castile. It happened to Breonna Taylor. Why are you traumatized, or are you, by this? And I hear from some of my black friends that when this happens, and you hear about it in the news, um, it impacts them emotionally, too. Give it... you know. Can you can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, and, and I think probably what they're what they're feeling in that moment is this could be me. This could be me. Yeah, this could have been me. Right. So and for I, good reason. For good reason. And I think when you know when the George Floyd situation happened, and of course that was one of many, 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 many. Oh yeah. Um, I think every time people would say that's could be me. That's a person that looks like me. Mm-hmm. That's a person that looks like my brother. That's a person that looks like my uncle or my father or whoever that. So that could be me. And when you looked at the whole, when you looked at everything that surrounded that, the the look of the police officer on his neck, the sense of saying, this is not a true human being, mm. all of that can work against your own psyche yeah. of, man, you had no regard for this person's life. And therefore, um, that says it all. And, and it brings back to your own mind things that have, may have, you, you know, may have gotten through. You were blessed that you weren't in that same position. Um, I think we saw the same thing with Rodney King back in the 90s. It was, you're, this guy, you're, you're hitting him, you're hitting him. And, it, and it's always, and it, you know, and, and Steve, we were having this conversation earlier about uh, lynching and mm-hmm. the, um, mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, through the 19th century and, most of the 20th century lynching. Um, and at that time, there were those who were saying, well, you know what? If they were lynched, they probably did something. Mm. You hear the same thing. You heard the same thing with, with Rodney King. He said, it. well, he did, he did something. You heard people saying that about George Floyd. Right. Well, he must have done something. Uh, okay, it, it, even if it was a bounce check, Really? Because does he deserve to die? Did he deserve to die for that? Or the guy that had, who uh, I can't think of his name, but who was in New York, Garner, right? Eric Garner, who yeah, was selling choked, counterfeit uh, cigarettes or something, or whatever they call. It. Yeah, is that is that level of that? So, and, and it brings it back to to I think a, I mean, there's so many questions, but yeah, we 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 really ought to be asking as a country, are we we want to be the type of place where police officers are judge, jury, and executioner, right? right I mean, that, right, that's what we've right, got. We've got here, right, we, we, we're right. basically saying it's okay for, 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 some for this kind of thing to happen. For, for some, some people, people. For some people. Um, for those who, you know, I'm going to bring this up. For those who try to say, no, uh, racism doesn't exist, there's not a double standard, so forth and so on, all I have to do is point you to January 6th. Mm. 
So we have a group of people that say, oh, well, you know, we're all for, um, you know, don't defund the police, or police are our friends, so forth and so on, and, and uh, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with the police department, so forth. So, okay, that's fine. Um, so, so if you want to look at two situations, look at when there was a demonstration by Black Lives Matter in D.C., and they were in, they were in Lafayette Circle, Peaceful protest. There weren't guns. Nobody was attacking any built right any building or anything else. And yet there are full, you know, military style people in their gear with batons ready to go, mm-hmm. and tear gas is shot into them and everything else. So okay, this is a peaceful demonstration. January six was not a peaceful demonstration. You have people actually breaking into the Capitol. Mm. Not a lot of them look like me. I'm just saying they didn't. Not what I saw on TV. Mm-hmm. For those who didn't have their face covered, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't look like me. Um, they were breaking through. I didn't see the same kind of well, and they were militarized. Assault, they were assaulting police officers too. They were they were assaulting like police officers, crushing them, yes. beating them with their sticks, yes. taking out their eyes. I mean, right, saw, right, right. I mean, it was right. I right. mean, this wasn't just. I didn't. I didn't destruction see, of property. This was, and and I didn't see them being shot. Right. I, I watched one scene where a guy was breaking the window. And I'm not for anybody getting shot, right? I'm not for anybody getting killed. I'm sure. just talking about the standard, the double standard. Right, right, right. I saw a guy breaking through the window. A police officer who has a gun mm-hmm. is watching him break through the glass. How come he didn't shoot him? Some of the police officers welcomed the men too. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, so it, it's a very the, the, you're, saying, you're saying it's a double of, double standard. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, where it was there was this narrative of. Look at they're looting and they're burning buildings and they're doing these things. Which was a small minority of the a small minority, but back, you had Black Lives a Matter. wave yeah. coming at the very seat of government. Mm. And people there were there were police officers like, well, yeah, okay, please don't touch, please don't destroy that. Would you not touch that? I just have been alive long enough to believe had those been people of color, they would have been mowed down. They were on, yeah, people of color who maybe had a different, you know, coming at it from a different standpoint. Yeah. And it's, yeah. No, it's, That's a controversial thing to say, I know. It but is. It's, but it's, we're talking about what goes on. This is a good example of what happens in the, in the disparity and, um, and, and the issue of, of race. Yeah. It just, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't just ideological. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just ideological because you had... You had a large group of people. Now, you know, people will argue about this, but the facts are the facts. You had a large group of them. They're white white supremacists. Oh, yeah, they're carrying Confederate flags and (laughs) whatever, right? Oh, no, that's heritage. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you know, yeah, this is, these are, these are, um, you know, how do you, how do you convince someone that racism exists? And, and I think you've, you've talked about some ways, but ultimately it comes down to, I think what you're saying is you need to listen to other people yeah, yeah. and and dig a little deeper, maybe get informed, get informed. Yeah. So let's finish up here. 
this has been really, this has been fun to, I say fun. It's been, <laughs> it has been fun, but it's also been really, you know, I, I think sobering in a way to talk about some of this stuff too. And especially from, yeah. you know, your experience as, as a black man here in America. Um, I, I, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to talk about this first of all. Secondly, I'm thankful that you are in a leadership position here in, in the church in this area. And so I want to ask you, what is your vision? You've already talked about it to some extent, but what is your vision, you know, for the church in Northern California? Um, what do you, what do you wish we could do in regards specifically to this area of, of racism and bringing about, you know, reconciliation, um, justice, healing? I don't know. What, What do you, what do you think the church could actually do in that area here? Man. Um, I'll go back and, and say again, I, I, first of all, we've got, you know, we can't leave the spiritual component out of it, right? Absolutely. We really have to ask God to open up our minds and hearts to, to issues that are not comfortable for us. Mm-hmm. And then I think we in leadership have, we probably need to be a little bit more intentional about some of these issues and create spaces and opportunities for dialogue and understanding, and and teaching, and sharing, and listening, and so there are resources that I think we can we can help with in that regard. And I don't I can say we probably haven't done a good enough job in that, um, but especially as it relates to race, uh, I think writing articles is part of that. You know, because it 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 gets conversation going sometimes not pleasant conversations, but it gets going and that's okay because we're engaging Mm -hmm. and engagement is important because as we engage one another, you know, I go to a church, my local church is, uh, I'm a minority in that local church. Um, I love my brothers and sisters, uh, in that church. Um, I, you know, we, we, we share the love of Christ and, and where we don't always agree, we can try to, we can seek to understand and and there are things I've learned from on my perspective. Oh yeah, I never thought that. Sure, that's how you think about that. But okay, I at least under I can recognize it. I see it. I understand it. I'm going to listen mm-hmm. as best I can um, and be an ambassador of some of those things. So, I mean, yeah, if our churches can, I mean, you, you specifically talked about race, and um, I think we could. Um, I think we could do a better job of even exchanging and interacting. You know, we still have churches that are predominantly white. We still have churches that are predominantly black. We still have churches that are predominantly Hispanic. And I'm not saying they all have to mix together. I get it, you know, because some things are language, some things are cultural. and But uh, with that, we miss out on the exposure. Mm-hmm. We miss out on the exposure. Um and I and I would suggest that uh, if we're serious about this, that that we as a church can can find ways to to come together. Um, in our conference, it's it's hard. We're geographically we're so spread out, but you know things like convocations and camp meetings and just where we can mm-hmm. rub up against each other, not just at constituency meetings. For those who know Avenus inside Avenus stuff, right? Not just at <laughs> constituency meetings where we're voting on issues, but mm-hmm. coming find some times to come together. I think we could be, I think we need to be more intentional about that. And, and, and that's something I've not done a good enough job on is that, and I think there's room, there's room for us to be more, more intentional. 
um, on that on that particular issue um, and and learn and learn from one another and and truly just live out what Christ would have us to live out mm. and not and we've got to we've got to name some things for what they are too. Mm-hmm. We have often been so much more influenced by our political leanings than than God's perspective on issues. Mm. Just because of our, you know, we've mm-hmm. you know, we talk about don't be of the world. We always just think that's about, you know, the obvious kind of sins, but if you are engaged in a political philosophy that that uh doesn't think about your brothers and sisters who are, don't look like you, then that's not the spirit of Christ. So we have to look inside ourselves too. Wow. Uh, and that's the, that's the personal side of it, but there is the, there is the, there is the church corporate side of that as well. And let's think about diversity. Let's think about studying. Let's think about these issues. We can reflect. We, we have such a great opportunity to reflect that. And and I will say, you know, I, I try to say this is important as well for, for my conference and for my brothers and sisters who may be listening. The fact that as an African-American, you know, I'm the president of a region that is predominantly white, um, that says something. Mm-hmm. That says something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I celebrate that. Mm-hmm. I celebrate that. And our conference was the first conference that would be a predominantly white conference or a conference that's not in a regional conference uh, setting. You know, you move south and east and and in the Midwest where we had an African-American as a conference president. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Northern California was the first in the Pacific Union. Mm. Um, Let's celebrate that, right? Right. Uh, And we've had, I'm the third African-American in president in what, 40 maybe less than 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, we celebrate that. So we've got, and they're good people in this guy really are. I have worked in this conference for 14 years. I can tell you, I've never had any personal experiences where I felt someone treated me differently because of my color. Mm-hmm. Among the church. Uh... Um, uh, yeah. Constituents. I and and Steve, I've shown up to some places I'm like, uh oh. I don't think they know <laughs> they just know my name on paper. I don't think they know I'm coming. And yeah, I yeah. show up and I'm like, I'm bracing myself. And they've been like, Pastor Woodson, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I said, This is God. These are God's people. Yeah. We have that. We have that. And all of the divisiveness that goes on the world, we can, and I know it's in us to do it reflect mm. the vision of wholeness. And we can speak, that's a way to speak to the world. Yeah, We can speak to the world. We can reflect that, that they will know you're my disciples because of the way you love one another. And love is being in action. It is doing right by people. It's not just saying, I love you. It is mm. taking, it is taking actions to show love. Boy. And so of, that's a challenge for us. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of good <laughs> so, stuff. Wow. That is a great, great way to wrap, I think, this up. I really appreciate you coming and uh, <laughs> and, and just sharing from I your may be heart. the last conference president you have here, right, after this discussion? I, well, <laughs> not if, it, if, if I have anything to do about it. I'll have you back if you'll come back. But uh, you're, you're, you're kind of a busy busy fellow. So. But, but thank you, Dr. Woodson. Thank you for sharing from your heart. Thank you for talking about things that uh, are uncomfortable, but we need to talk about yeah. these things. And yeah. um 
you know, I just uh, pray for you and, and I know God's uh, using you here and I know he will continue to do that. Yeah. Thank well, you. I have to say this is, this, this is a shameless plug for you, but, um, I want to thank you for, I I've been following your podcast. Uh, I don't know when it first came out, but I've been following ever since I knew about it. And, uh, I love what you're doing with it. And, uh, I just finished reading your book and so enlightening. So you probably won't plug it for yourself, but I'm going to plug it for you. I think I this. did last time. Did I, you I, last I time? Talked you yeah. talked about it a little but, bit, uh, but it's at the Adventist Book Center. <laughs> there are copies of it at the Adventist Book Center. It's uh, Do Justice, and uh, it is an excellent book. I, it's, a, it's not a large book, but boy, does it pack a punch. And I learned, I thought I knew a lot. I learned a lot uh, from what you wrote. And so, Steve, keep up the good work. Uh, you know, you're, you're a soul brother. <laughs> and uh, keep, up, keep up the good work because I, I think you're doing, an excellent, you're doing an excellent job. And I appreciate the courage it takes to, to speak to these issues. And um, that can be controversial, that can be argumentative, and can can rile people up, but you're, you're doing it and it's, it's, it's awesome. And I really appreciate you and, and appreciate the ministry of, of this, that, um, that you're doing. So I had to say that before we ended. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, God bless you. Thanks. Hey, you made it all the way to the end. Good job. There's a special offer for those who endure to the end. I'll send you a copy of my new book. It's entitled Do Justice, The Case for Biblical Social Justice. I'll send it to you for no charge. Here's what you need to do to get one. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast and leave the Do Justice podcast a review and tell us why you like it. Give it a good rating and then shoot us an email at dojusticenow at icloud.com. Dojusticenow at icloud.com and tell us where you rated us and provide us with your name and mailing address and we'll send you a book. Or if you want to support the podcast, you can simply order a book at dojusticebooks.com. That's dojusticebooks with an S at the end, dot com.